Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. And today we are taking yet another step into the tiny world of Ant-Man with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah, and you know, like, I remember the previews and I remember seeing the trailers and, and all of it. And I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be a fun thing, especially because of where it ended up in the timeline in like, in like the real world, right? Because we mm-hmm. desperately needed something funny after the end of Infinity War. Yeah, and if anyone can bring comedy, <clears throat> even in a space where you might not expect it, it's Paul Rudd. Precisely. Now, uh, I want to save really what I think about the movie for after we get through it all. It's often, yeah, it's off. We've often said that uh, there are worse places to be than the middle ground, but one of those places is as a filler movie. And unfortunately, this one suffers from filler movie effect. It had its good moments. This movie was still fun in places, but it's a filler film. Yeah. And where do we begin with any filler film? But with a spoiler warning. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thanks, Jen. Where do we begin after our spoiler warning? But in the past. Oh, man. This is becoming, like, a thing. (laughs) Marvel. Sometimes a change-up isn't the worst thing. But we're not gonna get that. Not for a while. Or ever, maybe. I can think of two movies that don't start with a flashback. But... If we're, especially if for phase three, but we'll discuss those later. Mm-hmm. Because we're starting in the past, yet again. We're recapped quickly through the events of Janet Van Dyne's last mission, where in the first Ant-Man film, it's established that going subatomic is very dangerous. If you mess with your regulator, you could just shrink and shrink and shrink forever, setting up 
later plot points, and it sequences the mission right before Janet goes subatomic, but from her point of view, instead of from the storytelling Hank side of things. And though they said that Shrinking Infinitely is inescapable, Scott came back, and that's why we have a sequel movie. (laughs) I will give, like, the de-aging effects for both uh, Pfeiffer and Douglas here were spot on. Like, these were, those were good. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know that they were older actors, I would have, you, you wouldn't have been able to tell. It helps that it was only really for uh, this scene and, like, one other scene in the movie, really. But for the rest of it, like, for those scenes in particular, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was not so creepy. Uh, we're, we're looking at you, Smoothie and McKellen. <laughs> so. We get to see Scott on house arrest in probably one of the funniest sequences of him just being bored and living the cyclical life, but he does have a little bright spot. His daughter gets to come visit him on house arrest. Yeah, and he has tricked out his house to be like this really interesting, like, the whole house is a whole play thing, and it, like... It was really nice. It was really cool. I I wish I had anything like that in my childhood. Hell, I wish I could do that here in my own house with my kids. And I can't. Make them feel like they're in an Ant-Man adventure. Exactly, yeah. But, of course, in the process of having fun, his foot with the, uh, with the collar on it goes through the fence at some point, and it sets off the perimeter alarm. Because we also have to remind you... That not only is his house arrest very, very, very heavily watched, but we also have to introduce here uh, Jimmy Woo and the whole host of basically how did we get here kind of exposition. Mm -hmm. So this is all following the events of Civil War with the Sokovia Accords and, of course, Scott's involvement with Team Cap. And in the process of his house arrest, only days away from real freedom after they get through the Jimmy Woo visit, because he's everyone's favorite token Asian. I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, Randall Park really did, like, nail the role here. No, I he like was great. Almost, and I like him in everything I've seen him, uh, but as Jimmy Woo, I really liked. Days away from freedom, Janet and Hank, despite their issues after scott helped the avengers because we know that hank does not like the avengers yeah he doesn't like stark and so therefore he doesn't like the avengers Mm -hmm. they decide that they need scott's help but we get to bring back the dog size ant but he's a little bit bigger now like people size yeah, that was to weird. wear to wear the ankle monitor and homies playing the drums and doing the same routines. That was all very strange. I, I that's a very smart ant. Uh, but they need to go to the quantum realm because after Scott came back, Hank was convinced that his wife was still down there, so he wanted to be sure. And they need to buy a part off the black market. Because that's always what you do in questionable science heist films, right? Yeah, that and I think those are, you know, fairly well tracked. So, you, you know, if you're if you're being, you know, on the underground, 
you know, down low, trying to avoid the, you know, basically the Superhuman Registration Act here, um, you can't just go out and buy specialized tech like that. So yeah, you you make you make deals with devils, and this devil is one Sonny Birch, played by like again, like the chemistry and the casting of all these characters was great. I love Walton Groggins. Uh Justified is just like freaking amazing. And here as he's uh trying to make himself as a, you know, better than thou uh tech guru kind of black market dealer, his Swarmy charm is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And at the end of the first Ant-Man film in our post-credit scene, we got to see our first glimpse of the Wasp outfit, and it's back now. As Hope gets to don her own suit and begins to fight off uh, Birch and all of his men until they are attacked by someone who is very unstable. She's not sticking to one reality. And Lang jumps into the fight. Scott jumps into the fight to fight off Ghost. But they escape with Pym's lab, which has been shrunk into a suitcase. Very convenient, but also convenient for the bad guys. Yeah. I I mean, because you think about things like plumbing and electrical. Those don't just move with you. Unless they are self-contained and self-generated, uh, in which case I don't want to imagine the plumbing ever breaking, you know, because you shrunk it down and then you jostled it badly or something. Oh, That no. would be a whole nightmare, I am sure. Way worse than giant Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> yes. Way worse. <laughs> well, Hank has a friend who can potentially help them locate the lab a estranged former partner in Bill Foster who gives them the way and after finding it ghost captures them and then reveals her her secret identity as Ava Starr her father was yet another one of Pym's partners who died with his wife during the experiment yeah he tried to recreate the quantum tunnel that is the plot MacGuffin for this movie and he did it. He cut too many corners. He he had already been kicked out of. Uh, he'd been already been kicked out by Pym and his team, and so he was operating half on memory, half on stolen stuff, and in a less than less than stellar operating conditions. The thing goes kaboom! It kills him. It kills his wife, and his daughter ends up soaking up enough radiation that she can't re- maintain her hold in this reality. She's constantly shifting in and out. And it's not good. F- it's not good for her. Foster finds her and he's he's already starting to dislike Pym. Like Hank Pym has a has an abrasive personality is the <laughs> the PG way of saying stuff like that. Well, I mean, we've seen him sucker punch an awful lot of people. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's a very um, angry little guy. <laughs> Yeah. Um so Foster has found this this kid who is the byproduct of tangentially related but is the byproduct of one of Pym's decisions. And I think that's what further cements Foster's dislike of of Pym as well. Um so their grand idea is they're going to 
bring Janet here and then use Janet's quantum energy that they supposedly think it's a theory, but she's been soaking up radiation down there and they're going to use it to stabilize Ava. So, so, so they're going to give the irradiated chick more radiation <laughs> yeah. to cure what happened to her when she got irradiated. That makes so much sense. Comic book science. Comic book science. Yeah. Um, however, Pim is like, that will rip Janet apart. So you're going to save my wife just to kill her. And so, you know, that's the main contention here now in act two of the movie. Yeah, so they refuse to help, and Hank manages to s escape with Hope, Scott, and his trusty briefcase-sized lab. Convenience. Mm, convenience. At least this isn't, like, complete plot convenience like we were seeing in Homecoming. You know, oh, the we need a scene basically in the monument here, and whatever, or whatever, it's just... And then look at Spider-Man! And then, oh, look at Spider-Man! Yeah, like, this makes at least some level of narrative sense. Yeah, at least there's reasons for people to be places like, okay, Hank used to work with these people, they didn't have a great relationship in the workplace, but maybe he can call in a favor. Okay, that worked. Until it doesn't, and you get your lab stolen because you turned in the size of a briefcase, but plot MacGuffins aside... Man they managed to open a stable version of the tunnel, because they're the good guys, they're the smart guys, they figure it out. And they're able to contact Janet, who gives them the exact location and how to find her, but she warns that they have a very limited window to do that before the quantum realm will separate them for a hundred years. So, yeah. And... I was gonna say, now that is plot convenience. Um, you mean to tell me that in searching for her right this time, we are now in the opportune window of, of opportunity here? You mean another one won't show up in, like, 30 days? Uh, this entire time that hasn't been accessible? Like, was it accessible two weeks ago? Was it accessible two years ago? Like, why is it suddenly, oh no, it's only now or I die down here? Other than to heighten the drama of the of the scene, which... It just wasn't necessary. Like, well, you'll miss me for another year or two. And, like, that would have... It still would have... I feel like it would have driven the plot forward still. Like, okay, we need to really get this done now. Because we don't want her down there for another two years. They gotta raise the stakes, man. It's a superhero movie. It's a superhero movie. I know. Death death or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> True. Death or nothing. <laughs> death, death or nothing. So... In yet more comic book science, Birch learns about the location and the plan using a truth serum on Luis, Dave, and Kurt. Scott's buddies from the first film. His guys in the van. Man, when you put a quarter in, you're, you're going to have to go through the whole song. <laughs> or however that quote is. Uh, just, you know, you turned, you turned Luis on. And you gave him no filter. Like, <laughs> listen, we love our Luis breakdowns. I want to hire him to do a whole breakdown of of my life thus far. I would love that. It'd be it. It'd be a heck of a story. Anyway, <laughs> right. Luis warns Scott that 
Jimmy's on his way and will see him violating his house arrest, but they manage to rush home just in time. I mean, yeah. Yeah, plot, plot convenience. Plot convenience. Because he, they just managed to get a message through to Scott after being captured by the bad guy. Uh, Pim and Hope are arrested by the FBI, and this allows Ava to take the lab yet again. Yeah. It's like a game of hot potato, only you want to hold on to it. It's like, don't, don't you think you should maybe change up the disguise, considering it, it didn't work? Well, okay, I think it only has the one. I mean, the building was the suitcase. Like, it just shrunk down, and he had managed to install wheels and, well, like, little rolling wheels and a collapsible handle into the building structure to make it a suitcase-like thing. Not much more you can do with it, I don't think. <laughs> make it, I, I don't know, like... Slap a pillowcase on it. Just be like, oh no, this is the pillowcase that I use to beat down home intruders. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it's that's why it's heavy and it feels like it's a brick. It's not a it's not a whole building <laughs> inside a pillowcase. Listen, it's a comic book movie, it could work, but long story sure. short. Uh Scott is able to help Pim and Hope escape custody, and again they locate the lab, and we're entering kind of our final sequence now because scott and hope distract ava the ghost while hank goes into the quantum realm to retrieve his wife who he finds alive and well and thriving down in the quantum realm having absorbed all this radiation and gained all these powers while she's down there and meanwhile birch makes a reappearance with more men and we get a, a car chase sequence it's a very interesting car chase sequence, I would say, through All San Francisco. Ant-Man. Yeah. Shrinking cars, enlarging cars, enlarging things to take out motorcycles or other vehicles. Like, it's a fun little romp. And at the same time, you know, you got Ant-Man, he's in a new suit, and unfortunately it's not quite done, and it's been having regulator problems the whole movie, and it catches up with him here during this this scene as well so but you get the you get the funny parts of the ant-man movies here Mm -hmm. and then our guys luis dave and kurt make their reappearance and they incapacitate birch getting their little bit of revenge and scott and hope stop the ghost and our guy hank returns with his wife safely from the quantum realm and janet just solves Ava's problem. <laughs> yeah, that that part. It was like, okay, so we really didn't need this whole convoluted plot of like capturing her and killing her when you could have just you could have just asked, like straight up, man. Like Bill, just go get her, come back, say, hey, this poor girl, she's suffering, and she very much is suffering. Yeah, and Janet's a nice person. She literally sacrificed herself and got trapped in the quantum realm for like forever and a half to yeah. save the world. She's not she's totally not going to just totally help this chick because she is completely capable of it without too much physical strain on herself. But that was nothing. It's like boom, here you're fixed. Goodbye. What? Superhero science. Uh, this is this is superhero science. I feel like what this is is communication breakdown necessary 
so that the plot mate can continue in in its trajectory. Like basically, our heroes have to be socially stupid for a moment so that everything we built up makes sense. But anyway, speaking of socially stupid, Lang needs to get back home again because now Jimmy's got his number. <laughs> yeah, and while suspicious. Wu can't really catch him, so he releases him from his house arrest, and Ava and our good guy Foster go into hiding, I guess, because, yeah, they did some bad stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, Ava was a, like, assassin for S.H.I.E.L.D. slash uh, probably the Hydra element of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Let's be honest about that. Though she herself isn't Hydra, she was probably trained by those elements at the very least. She has some bad connections, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. So, now we come to the scene that... Uh, Do you have feelings really? on this? Well, okay. Take it away, Psych. The scene was necessary, I guess, for... Because, again, this movie came out between the two big Avengers movies that make up the end of Phase 3 here. And it was necessary i guess to set up so that we know why ant-man is missing during the the everything and where he's been at the same time i just feel like the scene could have been just tagged on to the end of infinity war and it wasn't even really necessary for the end of ant-man and the wasp and in all honesty then this kind of brings me to because really there's not much else after this what was the point of Ant-Man and the Wasp, other than to be a fun movie between two really heavy movies? Yeah, because we got our fun car chase sequence, we got the Luis breakdown that always makes people laugh just because of how he tells the stories, and if you've never heard one, you've watched enough Marvel movies, and just just go. You're, why are you here? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we get our, of course, of course, when you've got Paul Rudd in a movie, there's gonna be humor. Paul Rudd is a, a crack up and he's willing to go off script to make the jokes and, and has a mastery of the correct kind of comedic timing for this character. Precisely. Uh, but like in the grand scheme of it all, the entire plot line doesn't isn't necessary. It's in it's completely inconsequential and it, it hovers here just as, hey, this, you know, it could have happened or it couldn't have happened. But now you get to see what they were up to. Because we, we really got like a little bit about the microverse, the quantum realm, whatever it is. And all of all of that sciencey BS could have just been plopped into either of the big Avengers movies. It just wasn't necessary to tag that into this one. But it sets up a lot of plot points with Ant-Man leading into subsequent films and... It it needed somewhere to have exposition, and I guess they didn't feel like they had time to do it in the like almost three hour runtime of, Fair. of the films could, that we're yeah. talking about. So I I mean I guess they didn't want to make it a three and a half almost four hour movie, but I mean I would have been at the theater regardless. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Come on, Marvel, give us a six hour movie. We'll we'll sit there for it. Okay, I mean come on. If people in the whenever it was made will sit through Ben Hur, like. People will sit through a, a longer average, longer than average Marvel film, okay? Regardless of averages, but yeah, like it's it's a fun one. But Sonny Birch, the, the B the B plot villain 
isn't anyone that you need to worry about and is completely inconsequential. He's there to set up the other the other ground team in their big recovery arc and showing that, oh, ex-cons can be trusted and we, you know, we're trying to get our lives on straight here. Uh, because that is the point of Luis and his team. They're trying to put together uh, ex-con security firm and land some big corp- uh, some big fish clients stuff. So that helps them. But really, at the end of the day, it's inconsequential. Even our big bad is, you know, ghost here. And even, again, as we were saying, her entire plot line, the entire plot of her story here of needing needing a stabilizing agent could just been help us save Janet and sh- ask her to help you. I mean, I get it. She's th- like, she's not trained to ask for help or whatever, but she's got fostered or, and so he could ask for it. it's communication breakdown is the entire point of the movie. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. It was fun. It gave us a laugh in between, like you said, two very heavy films. And I know we've got, a few characters for you to talk about. But before then, I think it's a good chance for us to go to a mid-break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome to the mid-break. We'd like to thank everyone that has stuck with us this far and has been a part of the Patreon. A big shout-out goes to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. You, too, can join in on the fun by joining up via the link in the episode description. Patron chats are at the end of the month and air at the start of the next month. And they're a lot of fun, and we have a good time when we do them. So, you know, if you're considering, if you've been on the fence, what's what's one month? Come in, give it a shot. You don't like it. You don't have to come back. We'd love it if you did, though, because we really enjoy chatting with you guys, even just through the mediums where we are communicating, social media, Discord. And we would love to have a couple more of you jump on the Patreon to chat all things Marvel. Penguin wants some uh, some friends to chat with, too. Anyway, if you can't support us financially, though, you can always drop us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. Any five-star reviews will get read out on the show. We don't have one this week, guys. And if you just want to talk with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show. Link for the Discord will also be in the show description. And speaking of shows on the robots, tell us about the fight space. If you're not tired of hearing from me yet, I also host a little show called The Fight Space, one of the only female-led martial arts shows where I discuss the deep roots of martial arts in modern media, cover historical super fights, break down fight scenes in film, and share news from the fighting community. I use my experience training combat sports to give a unique perspective into the shrouded worlds of martial arts and the people that call this space home. Where else can they find you, Psych? You can find me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift tabletop RPG podcast that uses the Fate system. We play Citadel security agents solving crime on the Citadel. I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. 
It's a lot of fun. Episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of that month. We had just wrapped on our big bombing run case with a mad bomber loose in the Citadel. So that will be coming up here in a couple of weeks. So you should check that out. And then outside of the Robots Network, I have joined up with Scyther Audio to create the Avengers Audio Drama, which is a spinoff of their fantastic, amazing, astonishing X-Men audio drama series. This is a years-long project, as I'm the writer, director, casting director, and audio engineer for this one, and and a voice actor in it playing the Hulk. Uh, first episode goes up in September, with a more precise date set later. I haven't decided yet when, uh, but it's to coincide, uh, coincide with the 60th anniversary of the first Avengers comic. If you have any more questions or you would like to audition for other upcoming episodes, please email Avenger Audio Drama, all one word, at gmail.com. And that is it for the mid-break. Okay, so we're going to just pop right into this. First up, we have Elias Starr, a.k.a. Eggman. Introduced in Tales to Astonish number 38 in December 1962 by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Larry Lieber. Like I said, he's the villain Egghead because of his egg-shaped head. Creative. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, it, it's a little on the nose. Uh, and he's regularly set up against Hank Pym. Uh, he's a very jealous rival scientist. Uh, he becomes a member of the Masters of Evil uh, at some point, and one of his machinations, he gets taken. Uh, he gets taken down by Hank Pym by himself, and then is killed by Hawkeye uh, at the end of that issue. And he has not been revived since. Now, obviously, the movies did not do anything with the Egghead Eggmen thing here. He's just Elias Star, disgraced scientist. A uh, former colleague of Hank Pym, and that was very beneficial to the MCU. <laughs> I was about to say, I I can't fault them for not going the very campy egg themed villain route. Right? Yeah, like stuff like that just doesn't work. In could you imagine? <laughs> oof, oof. <laughs> anyway, not for the serious tone that the MCU has set for itself. Definitely not. <laughs> All right. So next we have uh, Sonny Birch, introduced in Iron Man, Volume 3, number 73, in December 2003 by John Jackson Miller and Jorge Lucas. He's a minor villain, as he very much is in the movie here. Uh, he managed to get his hands on some Iron Man tech, and he's trying to, like, sell it. He's trying to, like, make himself a tech mogul, but... He's no Tony Stark. He doesn't understand the tech. And that inability to understand leads to some very embarrassing and very public mishaps. And at the end of uh, issue number 77, so he's only around for about four of them, uh, he ends his own life due to the disgrace of, of what he's done. So it's a very sad ending for Mr. Birch here. And uh, I mean... We don't have that same ending at all for the MCU version. 
So I would love to see Groggins come back and play Birch again. Okay, next is everyone's favorite S.H.I.E.L.D. agent for the movie, James Jimmy Woo, introduced in Yellow Claw number one in October 1956 by Al Fieldstein and Joe Manley at Atlas Comics, which was the predecessor to Marvel at the time. Then he was brought over to S.H.I.E.L.D. in Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. number two in July 1968. Now in the comics, Woo is a badass secret agent type character like James Bond but like better and he headlined that short-lived Yellow Claw series during the 50s which for an Asian American character to headline any kind of media at in the 50s was just unheard of at the time yeah because we're only what like less than 10 years removed from World War II yes Asian Americans were not seen as, they weren't in positive connotation. We just fought a war with Japan, and I gotta say, Yellow Claw did not age well, but it was the 50s, so I suppose I can overlook some racial discrepancies. And I'm glad that they went the direction they did with Jimmy Woo, because he's awesome. Right, like where Yellow Claw represents a lot of the yellow scare of the 50s and 60s that was tied into the communist fears, uh, uh, Jimmy Woo represented the best aspects of Asian culture, as, as several critics were like, yes, this guy is what basically all Asian Americans were trying, would like us all to think, or would like everyone to like think them as rather than Yellow Claw or the Mandarin or whatever else was being put out at the time. Anyway, so uh, James is still present within the modern continuity, uh, but he is still very rarely used. Now, I'm sure we'll start to see maybe a little bit more because of uh, Randall Park's portrayal of the character. Of course, we already see him later in uh, WandaVision. He's a much more competent agent, I would say, in WandaVision. He still keeps that that snark that he that he had, but he's much more tactically minded, I would say, versus... I'm not going to call him bumbling in this one, but he isn't quite uh, on the on the ball, I would say. He's got no riz. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I guess. Uh, all right. So next we have uh, Dr. Bill Foster, a.k.a. Goliath, uh, introduced as Dr. Foster and created by Stanley and Don Heck in Avengers number 32 in September 1966. He is then given some some pen particles, and he becomes the Black Goliath, a persona that was created by Tony Isabella and George uh, Tuska in Luke Cage, Power Man, number 24, April 1975. Foster then becomes the second Giant Man, first one being Hank Pym, in Marvel two-in-one number 55 in September 1979, and then he becomes yet the fourth Goliath in The Thing, volume two, number one, in January 2006. They don't know what they want to do with him. No, they really didn't. And part of the problem was, part of the problem was he's a copy of Hank Pym. He's got the growth powers and... They just, I don't know, they just didn't know what to really do with him. Um, he's got a PhD in biochemistry. Uh, he becomes Pam's lab assistant, which 
is just insulting, but it was the 60s. That seems like such an excuse, and I apologize. But anyway, he becomes Pym's lab assistant while Pym was stuck in his giant man height. He was stuck at, like, 10 foot, so he was always, like, hunched over and everything. Um... And then when he goes on to become Black Goliath, he gets those pen particles and he moves out to the West Coast and he starts being a superhero. He died as Goliath during the first Civil War at his full height of like 60-something feet at the hands of the Thor clone Ragnarok and has not been revived since. That scene was played out for us in the movie utilizing War Machine at the end during the chase Next, we have is Ghost, introduced in Iron Man number 219 in June 1987 by Dave Meshlini and Bob Layton. Uh, he's a heavy tech villain for Iron Man. Um, he is a character of unknown origin and alter ego. He tells a story to Moonstone at one point about his his origin, but he doesn't give her a name ever. He doesn't name any of the players in that story. He just says it, and he just tells it. So it's hard to determine whether or not he's being truthful, and it has not been touched upon since. Uh, as time has gone on, he's become more of an anti-hero, which, considering his anti-capitalist viewpoint, I cannot imagine why. And he has served time on the Thunderbolts. He gained his powers in an explosion completely unrelated to pin particles, but it was all about uh, assassinating him and his origin story that he tells Moonstone. Um, and Ghost has been a consistent thorn in the side of, of corporations ever since. And then for the movie, they tied Ghost to Ava Star, who is completely related to just the MCU. Again, pulling a lot more of... Basically pulling the uh, Hope Van Dyne for our villain here. Completely MCU-only character. Right, speaking of the Wasp, we have Janet Van Dyne, a.k.a. the Wasp, introduced in Tales to Astonish number 44 in June 1963 by Stan Lee, Ernie Hart, and Jack Kirby. She was a socialite and daughter of scientist Vernon Van Dyne. He died at the hands of a of an alien during one of his ex uh, during one of his experiments, so she talked his associate, Doctor Hank Pym, into helping her get revenge on the alien. On the alien, yes, because that's what we needed. That's what we needed here, aliens. <laughs> uh, guys, it was the sixties. <laughs> aliens. Yes. So she had Pym change her biochemistry to grow wings whenever she shrank down, and she first utilized a literal, like, needle pin, and then an air gun as the original wasp stings before upgrading to, like, some actual blasters. She is a founding member of the Avengers, and she's the one who gave the name to the group, um, and she's been one of the longest-serving members on the team, second only to Captain America. She's resourceful, crafty, and she's grown into she's grown quickly into a leader. Um, it was George Perez's fault for her character to be so heavily involved in fashion as he was constantly revamping her character outfits during his runs. Uh, so it became an in-character joke and has continued to be one ever since. Uh, her death at the end of the Secret Invasion storyline uh, was one of the triggering factors toward Osborne's takeover. 
but she was brought back in 2012 and has continued to serve on the Avengers. A mainstay, to say the least. Yes, an absolute mainstay. And I hate to say this, but what the MCU has done to one of its best characters is, quite frankly, a travesty. Don't get me wrong, I love Pfeiffer's Wasp for all of the, what, 15 minutes she's in there. But in in utilizing Pym and, and Janet in the past, and, and having them be older and basically passing the torch automatically to uh, Scott Lang and, and the MCU creation of Hope, we missed out on an amazing character, I would say. Uh, I will also say that for Hank Pym. For all the things that is wrong with Pym, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot, but in in skipping that, we did miss out on a lot of good stuff, I feel like. Or at least the potential for good stuff. Yeah, I could be talking about a universe here where the Avengers movies are all trash and we don't have a job, basically. Um, <laughs> because they included Hank Pym, but I could be I could be wrong. Yeah, I. it does seem a bit strange to me that they're going to the second guy to have the mantle, really. Or maybe not even the second guy. I'm not exactly sure on the history on Ant-Man and how many people have had the mantle, but... Um, Lang is the second. Okay, so not to go with the first guy, uh, at least when they're introducing a new character, does seem like a bit of a choice. But I suppose given the issues that exist with Hank's character, maybe they felt he wouldn't play well in the universe that exists? I mean, yes, that's probably 100% accurate. Uh, and, as we mentioned in the Ant-Man episode, Scott Lang held the title of Ant-Man far longer than Pym. Um, like, Pym was the first, but he basically became Ant-Man and then, uh, like, very quickly turned into Giant-Man. So he didn't stay that way for very long, and the moniker was picked up by Lang in the 70s, and then he kept it all the way up to his death in Avengers Disassembled, which was a an early aughts comic book. So he held it forever. So it's not surprising, really, that Lang got to be the Ant-Man that was the, the MCU's Ant-Man. But in skipping it, we did miss out on Van Dyne's Wasp. And I'm mean, doing it wrong. The MCU did a brilliant job of of sidestepping the domestic abuse and the um, possibility of of bipolar disorder that is within the comic book Pym by by doing this. Um, it's just uh, it it was a risk loss you know, risk reward scenario. By doing what we do with Pym, we lose out on Janet, and that's that's. That's just the way it had. I think it played out. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but I I think you're right about weighing the risks with the rewards. It's maybe not so great because then the fan base goes back and they go, okay, they made this guy their hero, but he's kind of a terrible person. Yeah, and the and the MCU doesn't shy away from constantly reminding us that Hank Pym is not a good guy. He's got a short temper. He doesn't trust anyone. Uh, he, he he's constantly belittling other people. He has terrible relationships with everybody, including you know the man he's trying to mentor and his own daughter, who he's also trying to mentor in the whole superhero size changing community. But he is 
an awful human being, I would say, or at least very hard to get along with. Yeah, I, I don't think if I if I think if I was making up a party of people in the Marvel universe that I'd love to sit down and have dinner with, I don't think Hank Pym is very close to the top of that list. No. Like I want to get through dinner without an argument, and I don't think that's possible with Hank at the table. <laughs> Definitely not the MCU version. <laughs> yes. Um Scott Lang though? Like Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. He would be we'll dinner go, in a show. He we'll would. go to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but jokes aside, again, worse places to be than the middle ground, but it's a filler film, but at least this one was funny, and it was a good time. Yeah. So. Where do we go next week? Yes. Um, so for our upcoming, for next week, we have a patron chat with Penguin, unless we get another tier four in the next week, who then can join us. And then after that, we go kind of into the end. And we will also be celebrating our one year. We'll be, it'll be kind of a stretch over the month of July as like a big celebratory, celebratory thing of us having done this podcast for a year. And we'll be ending July with a big two-parter of the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. So be listening for that. Very, very excited. And we thank everyone who stuck with us from the start. And we'll have we'll have more thank yous and I'm I'm sure to talk about at the time, but it is crazy that we're coming up on a year. It seems like just the other day we were talking about starting a podcast and here we are. Yeah, it's been it's been one hell of a ride. Um don't get me wrong. That's just like, sorry, that came out way more final than I meant it. Um, we're sticking around. We have all the Avengers television to go through. Avengers. All the Marvel television to go through. Um, so we have plenty more content coming your way. But we're having kind of a big blowout for our one year. It's going to be it's gonna be a good time. So we're looking forward to it. Join us and stick along. Because we've got a lot more to talk about. And. We want to bring you everything that you want us to talk about in the best ways possible. We're going to keep at this, guys. We, we love what we do. Oh, yeah. So we will catch you all next week with our patron chat. And have a good night, everyone. Night, everyone. As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In 7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, 
Enough said. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora. And all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on the Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon. <laughs>